Morning, church. Um, it's been Marin's birthday, uh, 40th birthday in this past week. Um, last year, it was my festival of 40 that Marin organised for me, so set the bar really high. She's, you know, well into her festival of 40 as well. Um, but it made me think about um, just experiences that, that I've had with Marin when it comes to birthdays and specifically gifts. Um, we've been together now for 24 years, and if there's one thing that I've gradually learnt uh, over that time is that if Marin says that there's something specific that she'd like for her birthday, then that's what I need to get her. Uh, early on in our marriage, she wanted a hammock, and she had one in mind, and so I went off to the, the store and checked out the hammocks and found one that I thought was better. Um, it also happened to be cheaper, but that, you know, was not, actually, no, it really was, you know, a factor in, a factor in it. So anyway, I bought the hammock that I thought um, would be good, and I took it home to her and gave it to her, and she uh, received it, and look, it didn't go well, really. <laughs> and so soon enough, I was back at the store with the hammock that I thought was great and returning it for the one that Merrin had said this was the one that she, she'd wanted. And so, you know, when it comes to her birth, her 40th now, like I've, like I said, I've, I've had incidents like that throughout our time together, but, but I learned for, for this year. So when, um, when I find a jewellery catalogue on the kitchen table with, with a particular ring, you know, clearly circled, well, my idea of getting her a nice watch, you know, that, that had to go by the way. Uh, the, the other rings that I thought in the catalogue looked, oh, yeah, that's really nice too. I had to put that aside as well. And I knew that I just had to get this one that had been, been circled. Uh, I needed to get that particular one. And in saying all this, I'm, I'm not poking fun at Merrin, but at myself, because like, I'm, I'm the idiot. Like, uh, there, there's, there's times when she could not be much clearer where it's practically spelled out to me, but I still think that I know better, that I can come up with something uh, better than, than what she said, that I can figure something else out on my own. But whenever I do that, it usually doesn't pan out so well. Uh, I need to stick to what it is that she has said to me. And as we continue through our study in the book of Joshua, that seems to be a lesson that Joshua and the people of Israel are learning as well. Not, not to stick to what Maron says, obviously, but, but to stick to doing what God says. You know, in chapters 3 and 4, they, they cross the Jordan River following God's instructions about how they are to do that. In chapter 5, they circumcise the men according to God's command. In chapter 6, they conquer Jericho by obeying God's unusual battle plans. But then in chapter 7, the wheels come off. Uh, and two things happen. For a start, Achan doesn't obey what God had specifically said. Uh, he, he had a better idea, he thought, and he kept some of the plunder for himself. And it did not go well for him, to say the least. And secondly, it seems that they, they decide that they can try this whole military strategy thing for themselves. See, when the spies that Joshua sends out return, um, they say back in chapter 7, uh, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, 
but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. They tried to figure out on their own what to do, and likewise, it did not go well for them. So as we open chapter 8, which is where we are today, I don't think it's any accident that the first words we read here are that then the Lord said to Joshua. So here is God speaking again, outlining what Joshua and the people of Israel are to do as they attack the city of Ai. And as the chapter unfolds, we see that they do exactly what God says. And as a result, they they experience victory in this conquest. So let's look at it together. If you've got your Bible, your phone, uh, Joshua chapter 8. Joshua 8, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to to Jericho and its king, except you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So in chapter 7, and the failed attack on AI, it started with a human plan. But chapter 8 starts with God's plan. And unlike the plan for for Jericho, the strategy here uh, that's given here actually makes military sense. You know, to take the whole army this time, to overwhelm them by sheer force of numbers, if nothing else, but to also sneak a part of the army around behind the city to, to ambush it. But the point here is not about the logic of the the military strategy. The point is that it comes by God speaking and the people are to follow it. And so then Joshua carries it out, verse 3. Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and he sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You had to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. And all of you be on the alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us as they did before, we'll flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say, they're running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it. You have my orders. Now, notice back in verse 1, God says, I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai. And here in verse 7, Joshua says as they, are, as they are to attack the city, he says, the Lord God will give you it into your hand. And one commentator says of this, that what Yahweh had already declared, it still needed to be made a reality. And that reality would uh, be achieved through and obedient Israel. We've talked about this idea earlier in this series, uh, that God has given Israel the land, but they still need to take it. And likewise for us, God has given, saved us to new life in him, but we need, still need to work out the reality of that in our lives. And the way that it's made a reality for Israel and for us is through our ongoing obedience to God. As Israel do what God says, the city will be given to them. 
And it's not that they're, they're earning or achieving it, but it's that they're expending effort and doing their part to make a reality what God has already promised and, and declared. So then we read, Joshua sent them off, sent the troops off. And they went into the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. And Joshua spent the night that night with the people. So early the next morning, Joshua mustered his army, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So the soldiers took up their positions with the main camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. And that night Joshua went into the valley. Into the valley. So the Israelites are set. Joshua is still with the main part of the army that, that's camped in front of the city and 5,000 men have snuck around behind it and lay in wait in the hills. So verse 14, when, when the king of Ai saw this, saw the army arrayed out in front of him, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back, uh, let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled toward the wilderness. And all the men of Ai were, were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Everything's going according to the plan. Though Israel now has this, this much larger force, they, they still appear to be routed by the men of Ai and Bethel. Now, Bethel is just is another city just a bit further west than Ai. And the text doesn't make it clear, but it seems likely that with Israel already having attempted an attack on Ai and with them still you know, in the vicinity, it seems that like the Aiites, try saying that, um, that they had called in reinforcements from this, from this neighbouring city. And so with the confidence that that's then bred of their earlier victory, all the men, or all the fighting men, leave the city in pursuit of Israel's army. But as they do so, you know, pursuing what they think is going to be a sure victory, uh, they actually leave then the city vulnerable. And so in the next verse, everything turns. Verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, so God speaks again, Hold out toward Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out toward the city the javelin that was in his hand. And as soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and they rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back and they saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky. But they had no chance, chance to escape in any direction. The Israelites who had been fleeing toward the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that smoke was going up from it, they turned around and attacked the men of Ai. Those in the ambush also came out of the city against them, so that they were caught in the middle with the Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down. 
leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. Verse 18 here is the turning point. It's there that God speaks again. And Joshua again responds in obedience. In fact, when you read it, the, the description of Joshua's obedience is almost word for word with what God said. God said this, Joshua did exactly that. He's further displaying that, that the, the importance of, of, of obeying God and of doing exactly what he says, rather than acting as if he knows better and if, as if he can figure something out. It's in obedience that Joshua experiences victory and success. Now, that doesn't mean that it comes easy. It doesn't mean that, that doing what God says is, is just a walk in the park. I mean, there was still a battle to be fought. But the final outcome now was vastly different than it had been in chapter 7 when they tried to figure it out their own way. And we see Joshua's continued and complete obedience further as the story continues. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he, he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of this city, as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take down the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. The key action in all of this, in the victory, in the success that Israel had, the key action is Joshua's holding out his javelin as he does what God says. And it seems like a, an odd thing to do, but it's significant in two ways. In the first, it's, it's another affirmation by God of Joshua's role as the leader of this people. We've already seen Joshua lead the people on dry land through the Jordan River in an echo of what Moses had done at the Red Sea. But now Joshua holds out his javelin as God gives them the victory, just the same as Moses had done at the parting of the Red Sea that then overcame the pursuing Egyptian army. These echoes affirm that God is with Joshua in just the same way as he was with Moses, something that God had promised back in chapter 1. And he affirms it in such a way that it's clear to Joshua and himself and to the people following him that God is with him and as he leads these people. Secondly, though, this, this action makes clear that the victory comes at God's hand. See, at the Red Sea, Moses held out his staff that, that kept the waters separated until the Egyptian army was, was in the midst of it. And then when he removed the staff, the waters came crashing back in and destroyed that army. So who really fought that battle? Who won that victory? Who did that miracle? God did. And he, but he did it through his human instrument in Moses. And it's the same here. God has given Israel the land, and this city specifically. He's given it into Joshua's hand. God provides the battle plan. And it's God 
who at the crucial moment tells Joshua to spring the ambush. And the signal for it is an action that harkens back to God's power, God's plan, God's salvation, God's victory. Joshua and the Israelites are the human instrument of God's power at work on their behalf. So with all this in mind, what are we to take from this story? We get what it says, we understand what's happened. What do we take from it? What does it mean for us? It's not, it's not an allegory that we can read into our meaning and parallels from our own lives. It's not like that we can say, well, the city of AI is that co-worker who we have real troubles with and really if we just depend on God, we'll defeat them, they'll get the sack and we'll get their job. Well, you know, like we can't read, read into it in that kind of a way because it's written to us as, as a history of what has happened in the life of God's people as they follow after God and of his dealings with them. And so in, in that way, it is illustrative for us. We can't read a meaning into it, but, but it does illustrate something for us. And so, so what can we take from it? And I think there's at least three lessons for us in this story. And the first and the primary one being that we need to walk in obedience to God. And we can have a real resistance to obeying God. We don't want to because we think that we'll miss out because we don't want someone telling us what to do, because we think that we know better. I don't want Marin to tell me, get me this specific thing, because I want to have some choice and influence in, in that thing. But the reality is when we try to do things our own way, independent of God, that's when we run into trouble. See, it's when we think, you know, one look won't do anything. Yeah, this, this makes sense. It's not hurting anyone. No one will ever know. It will still get me to the same place, but, but I'll just get there quicker and easier. It's such a small thing. You know, what does it matter? It's when we think such things that, that sin is soon in the camp. We're disobeying God, and it does not go well for us. Think of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. The devil offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, if only Jesus will bow down to him. Now we know that, that Jesus came proclaiming the, the beginning of the kingdom of God, uh, the, the rule and the reign of God coming to, uh, to uh, take place on the earth, that it was at hand. And we read in Philippians, for instance, that, that there's a time coming when every knee will bow to Jesus, recognizing his authority and his rule. And so, so this was an enticing offer that Satan was making to him. Satan was offering to give Jesus all the kingdom without him needing to go through the cross. Now, of course, if Jesus weren't with that plan, there would still be one knee that wouldn't bow to him, Satan's. And we would still be stuck in our sin and under the ultimate rule of the kingdom of darkness. So Jesus responds at that time with the word of God. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And more than just quoting that verse, Jesus lived that verse. And so here we are, saved from sin, freed from its power, and brought into the family of God as a result of that. We'll see the significance of, of obedience more next week as we look at the last section of chapter 8. But certainly from what we've looked at today, there's this clear message that as God's people, we need to know God's word and to live by God's word. 
We need to be obedient to God and, and to what he says. And as we are so, it's then that we walk into the reality of the promises that he has for us. So flowing from this is a second lesson that we can take from this story. And that is to live, Ivan, if you can just move that on, in dependence on God. We had to live in dependence on God. What Israel could not do by themselves, they achieved through God's working and through God's power for them. Uh, I think it's interesting that the, the whole army went up now against AI. It says that you know, about 25,000 were arrayed in front of the city, and that's not counting those in ambush. And back in chapter 7, it described AI um, by saying that only a few people live there. So you've got 25,000 know, in the army and just a few people. And we look at that and we think, surely they could have just done it themselves. Surely they, they didn't need God to give them any special tactics. They could have just done that thing on their own. But Psalm 127 starts, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Or Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, a life verse to, to so many people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. See, regardless of how things might look humanly, it's through dependence on God that we move further into the life that he has for us. So Paul prays that we might know his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. We need his power, his strength, his working. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. And we know that, don't we? But then he goes on to say, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. So why wouldn't we depend on him, the one who has overcome it? Depend on God. In him is the power we need to live out our lives as his people. And so the third lesson, Ivan, just one more. The third lesson in all of this is to live in the reality of the grace of God. Think about what happened in the chapter before the one that we've just looked at tonight. They've experienced a, a defeat at the hands of just a few people. And more than that, one of their own has been identified as the cause of their defeat because of their, their sin and disobedience. But look again at the first words that God speaks here in chapter 8. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. God is still with them. He hasn't abandoned them. He hasn't given up on his plans for them. He is still going to give them the land. By their sin, by their defeat, they have not lost God's presence with them, his power in them and his plan for them. God is still moving them on. He's still taking them into the land. And he doesn't want what has happened to them to hold them back from still pressing into what God has for them. See, our, our sins, our, our defeats, our failures don't uh, disqualify us from God and his promises. Our sins, our defeats, our failures are not a reason for us to run from God, but to actually run to Him and there to receive His grace 
Because in God's grace to us, he is still with us and he's still for us. Joshua's story ends here with the king of Ai impaled on a pole. And it's pretty gruesome, but it reminds us of another who hung on a pole. Not for his own sins, but for ours. In Galatians 3.13, Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. With what Christ has done for us, we are no longer under the curse of sin. We've been set free from that and we've been liberated to live a new life in him. No, we won't do so perfectly. But as we walk in obedience, as we walk in dependence, as we walk in his grace, we'll become more like the son he loves and we'll live out the reality of our identity as the children of God. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you speak to us, that you lead and guide us as your people, that that we're not uh, left on our own to figure things out, uh, but that you are with us, guiding us each step of the way. I pray that we'd have ears to hear what it is that you are speaking to us, whether it's your your still small uh, whisper that comes to us, whether it's in the pages of your word, that that we'd hear your voice. And we wouldn't try to um, figure things out our own way, but that instead we would just trust you and walk in, in obedience to you. And as we do so, God, knowing you, knowing your word and obeying it, living it out, that we'd experience the, the new life that you would have for us, life in the promised land, the, the life we have in Christ. Help us to depend on you, not, not on our own wisdom and our own strength, but to trust and depend on you and your, your power that's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, that's able to rise, raise Christ from the dead. Why wouldn't, God, we depend on you? Why wouldn't we trust in the one who has overcome the world? So help us, God, to depend on you more and to receive your grace. Because, God, we do stuff it up. We do go, go our own way, and yet you are still there loving us, forgiving us, still leading us into to more of what you have for us. We thank you for Jesus, God, who died for our sin that we could be um, set free from it and given the life that, that you have for us. So we thank you for your grace. May we walk in it day by day. May the story of Joshua uh, and the Israelites in their capture and defeat of Ai, may it inform us, God, and guide us in how we are to live our lives. May we walk from here in obedience to you, we pray in Jesus' name. 